Welcome to the Days for Girls podcast, a show about breaking barriers for women and girls around the world. I'm your host, Jessica Williams, Chief Development and Communications Officer at Days for Girls International. At Days for Girls, we believe in a world where periods are never a problem. We are on a mission to shatter the stigma and limitations associated with menstruation by increasing access to sustainable period products and menstrual health education for all people with periods. Today's episode is with Peki Intapata and Eiko Yamamoto. Peki is a recent PhD graduate from Nagoya University in Healthcare Administration. Eiko is a professor from the Department of Healthcare Administration at Nagoya University. She's also responsible for the Young Leaders Program for the Ministry of Health in Asia. In this episode, Peki and Eiko talk about their recent studies on menstrual health and factors associated with school absence among girls in Laos, and factors associated with postpartum depression among women in Laos. Peki, Eiko, thank you so much for coming on the Days for Girls podcast. I'm really excited to have this conversation today. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you so much for having us today. I'm fine, Anissa. Thank you very much for inviting us. I thought we could start out today by talking about how your your study explores the connection between menstruation and student absenteeism in Luang Prabang, Provence, in Laos. And Mm -hmm. maybe you can talk about why is this so important to address? So it first happened when the professor came and asked me, so what about your second research? What do you want to do? And then I was like... I think I want to do the menstrual hygiene research because back then when I was a student, I had a hard time studying at, in school and managing the menstrual hygiene at the same time. And I had an idea that being a woman is not, is it's so hard. I want to be born. I, I, I wanted to be born as a boy that I don't have, I don't want to have a period every day to go to every month to go to school. So that was, that was the very first uh, idea why I wanted to study menstrual hygiene and why it is important. I think um, based on my experience, I think it is important to educate women and especially girls about menstrual health and hygiene. So for prepare them before they have menarche, for to, to help them not to feel shocked or ashamed for, for their first bleeding and also have better education, better knowledge, better access to the resource to improve the hygiene, keep them hygiene. So, and enhance their grades and education when they, when they attend to the school. So that was my idea of why it is important. Yes. And why, why are you looking at school absenteeism as it relates to menstruation? Why is that important? School attendance, school participation, it is important. And menstru- menstruation, it happens only with girls, not boys. And that is also another factor to make girls out of school when they have difficulty in managing, uh, when they have period, like I said, it's so hard to manage menstrual health in school. So they would rather absent or not coming to school. And if, and that is also in friends, their school participation and might be school dropout later. And I think, did I answer your question? <laughs> yes, you did. I think it's perfect. So, you know, I, I know when I'm menstruating, 
life is harder and things are harder, you know, and I can't imagine not having the, the tools that I need. I, I suppose that I can imagine because there have been days where I started my period while I was at work and I didn't have uh, a menstrual pad or a tampon or a, a yeah. cup to, to manage. And it was, it was, you know, embarrassing and you, you kind of start to panic and you just want to go home and like yeah. take care of your health. Right. Yeah. And I also back then when I first, when I have my foot, my first bleeding, it was, it was so shocking and I was shaking. I, I still remember. And my parent was a doctor, were doctors. And I, I grew up in the in a family that didn't, they know about health, but we didn't talk about it. I don't know if it, it was a, like a, um, the norms or what 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 people allows. They they might find it embarrassment in talking about like sexual education or like your sexual organs or prepare you before you become like mature. I don't know how how old is perceived as mature in my country, but we have we have some kind of like difficulty in talking about this issue between the families. So even even though in my family we don't talk about that much. And my my mother just hand me the the pad and that just it. And I have no idea what happened. And she just said normal. It, it's normal, but she didn't explain mm-hmm. what's happened. So that was why I wanted to study and I wanted to know if other girls have that the same that same experience like me or not. And here we are. <laughs> Let's talk about what you learned. So there were some key findings. So let's talk about that. What did you learn about menstrual health education in the country of Laos? So some of the key findings of our study is that we, in our study, we, we include about 1,300 secondary school girls from grade um, 9 to grade 12 in Luang Prabang province. And what we found is that 65% of them were shocked or ashamed when they had their first bleeding. And 90% of them had dysmenorrhea pain when they have menstruation every month. And that 80% of those who, who say that they have pain, they have the pain to the point that they have to do something to alleviate the pain, not, not just the pain that they can endure. And Ontal matter was the main source for the menstrual information for them, but it was accounted, accounted less than half of the, of the student, of the girls in our study. And 30% of girls reported that they did not seek any information from anyone. They, they did not ask anyone. And only 5% of girls, they reported that they get the information from the teacher from the school about the menstruation. And yeah, this this is some key fighting from the study. Mm-hmm. So what you're telling me is they're just finding it out wherever they can, and chance they might not get any sort of education about their menstrual health. Is that right? I guess so. From yeah. I- I cannot say like exactly, but I think so. I guess so. Um, from the report, from from the report, mm-hmm. there, there are some uh, small number of students who they knew how to access in the, to the internet and search for the menstruation, but that was less than five percent 
less than 5% of them. And 30% just said, I did not ask anyone. I, mm-hmm. I, I did not seek any information about that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So how about uh, access to toilet facilities? Well, from our study, toilets are accessible. In school, toilet, toilets are accessible, but they are not friendly. They are not gender friendly and they are not inclusive for girls, especially for girls. As um, most of schools did not have the waste bins in the toilet, but other places like other around the school or at the front at the front of the at the front of the toilet. But the toilet is not gender separated. <laughs> So if they want to throw their pet at the dustbin at the front of the toilet, the boys might fight out. And they might be the case that they might be teased or they might be they might be harassed by the by the boys who come to the toilet. And also about 30% of the girls, they said that they kept their used pet with them and kept and brought home for disposal. So they did not throw the pet in the dustbin in the school, but they rather keep the kept the used pad and brought home for disposal. So yeah, this is the what we found regarding to the toilet from our study. Mm-hmm. And based on what you learned, can you talk about the rate of school absenteeism when girls are menstruating? Okay, so from what we found, it was about 32%. 32% of 1,300 girls, they reported that they they missed school. Not, not the whole day. Sometimes it's not the whole day, but some classes of the day um, due to the menstruation, which might be due to the leak, due to menstrual anxiety, due to the, the cramps or the menstrual, uh, the dysmenorrhea pain. So yeah, it was 32%, about 32% of them absent from the school due to menstruation. And, you know, your study got published and you made some recommendations based on your findings. I mean, who did you make recommendations to and what were those recommendations? Because our study, it was limited. There were some limitations in our study where we couldn't interview the girls in depth about some question that couldn't answer just by multiple choices answer. So what we what we learned and what we could recommend for from our study, I think it it's more towards the policymaker, like the ministries, the government that is related to the school that could support girls to better uh, manage their menstruation, suggest um, maybe they can have an ad- they can implement some activities or education activity in the school for girls and maybe boys as well about what is menstruation. And it would be better if if it happened before girls reach Menaki, maybe primary school, because now we have the we have the textbook it allows we have the textbook that teach about menstruation but it's only half of the page and it teach in the grade nine which is the the age of 14 or 15 years already and most girl already menstruated which is too late so now it would be better if the related ministries or agencies could address this issue and provide early education to the 
girls and the boys about what is menstruation. And another recommendation is that the, the toilet should be inclusive and it, it will be better if the related ministry and agency try to revise the school construction guideline and um, make the more make more detail of how inclusive the toilet should be and how friendly it should be. What are necessary for the toilet that um, we should have for girls in schools? Oh, I want to pivot and I want to talk to Aiko about her study, uh, which you both authored, right? Yes. So you both co-authored another study about factors associated with postpartum depression among women in Vientiane, Capital, and Lao PDR. And I was wondering if you could tell me more about why you did this study. What was your hypothesis? What were you hoping to learn? Thank you very much. So I'm I, I'm Obijan doctor. And uh, in Japan, postpartum depression, uh, doctors knew, but uh, not clearly. And that was not so common. But in 2016, in Tokyo, a researcher uh, conducted a study to found uh, the mortality of mothers uh, within one year after childbirth. So as you know, the maternal mortality uh, is uh, defined as a mother's death during pregnancy and in 42 days after childbirth. But when the researchers examined the mother's death, including one year after childbirth, uh, the results showed that the mortality rate was uh, three times higher than the uh, official maternity mortality rate in Japan. And also the most cause of death was uh, committed suicide. That was very shocked. So since that year, so Japanese uh, obesity doctors and also the local government are focusing on uh, preventing postpartum depression. So now every local government provide free coupon for ANC and PNC, uh, including the check-in uh, the postpartum depression uh, or the during uh, depression during pregnancy or uh, after childbirth. So from that experience in Japan, I thought that the, so every country women have gave gives a uh, childbirth. So if so, every country has postpartum depression. And I wondered how is in an Asian country situation. So Asian country has a culture different from Western culture. And that is, I, I saw that more support uh, among family members or the cross relationship, mother and daughters, because uh, families are big uh, compared to uh, the Western countries. So I was wondering if how is the situation in Laos or in other countries in developing countries in Asia? And uh, now we in Japan, we are using uh, consultation and finding the, and using the screening, uh, just using questionnaire from the, the pregnancy. So that is not need high technology. So uh, I wanted to know the situation of PPD in Laos, and also I wanted to help 
and support women's lives uh, using not high technology, but midwives or nurses uh, can work for preventing PPD. So uh, that was my motivation to conduct this study. What did you end up discovering in this study? Uh, I expected that uh, some cultural factors or traditional uh, behavior may be a factor to prevent PPD, but the result was different. So the the factors, uh, the risk factor was unintended pregnancy or under low birth satisfaction and depression during pregnancy. Uh, These factors are the similar uh, results in other countries, but uh, so there, there was no factors of culture or the family uh, support, uh, which were associated with uh, postpartum depression. That was uh, different from my expectation. But from these results, we can find that uh, since during pregnancy, providing some education or to tell uh, to pregnant women that you may have uh, depression after childbirth. That is a very important education for for mothers, I think, to prevent. And uh, they have to seek uh, support from people around the mothers. So such education or activity or intervention during pregnancy uh, is very important, we found. So, and, and also we can do that in every developing countries. That was very good for us to understand the situation. Yeah. And so I'm, I want to go back to something that you said, Eiko, because I found this really interesting and I want to make sure I heard you correctly. So one of the risk factors for postpartum depression, you said is unwanted pregnancy. And what was the other one? Low birth satisfaction with childbirth. So what, what does that mean? Mother was not satisfied with her childbirth. If mothers are satisfied with her childbirth, uh, they feel happy when they had a baby or they are satisfied with other things. But if they do not, they are not satisfied with childbirth, when they had a childbirth, uh, like a something frustration or something uh, disappointed at the the childbirth, uh, it may cause mother's depression. Were you surprised by that result? Uh, But that was one of the the factors already reported in some papers. So that was one one of the factors uh, already reported. Interesting. So what can you do to support uh, pregnant mothers so that they have a higher satisfaction towards their birth rate or their birth experience, I guess? Uh, so in now, now uh, most women have a childbirth at health facilities, but I think that quality of health facility or the, the midwife uh, may not be uh, good enough for women. So under day, women stay at health facility after childbirth only one year or one night. So that is not enough uh, time for 
receiving enough service uh, for mother's health and the children's health. So in law, I think healthcare workers have education to save lives. Uh, it means a physical life. So after childbirth, the bleeding, infectious, infections are the most uh, the common uh, problems. But uh, for well-being, in, in a me- mental health being, or mental health, so midwives or nurses have to care about uh, mother's mental condition more about after childbirth, I think. So that is uh, another, uh, the next challenge for Lao uh, health professionals, especially midwives, to mm-hmm. make uh, satisfy <laughs> women's mothers mm-hmm. about the ch- their childbirth. Because childbirth must be a happy things for them. But if the behavior or attitude of midwives or nurses are not appropriate, mothers cannot feel satisfied or the happy happiness from their childbirth. So now that law should be moved to the next step uh, for improving their health service. And that is service. Uh, so they have to have an education, I think. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So before I let you go, I want both of you to tell me a little bit about what we can expect from you in the future. So Eiko, I'll start with you. So you're a professor at the Department of Healthcare Administration, mm-hmm. and you're responsible for the Young Leaders Program for the Ministry of Health in Asia. So yes. yeah, can you tell me a little bit more about that job and and your work and and maybe some of the, the things that you're focused on doing next? Mm. So Young Leaders Program is uh, the Japanese uh, biggest scholarship for Asian countries, uh, healthcare workers, especially who are, who, are, who are working for Ministry of Health. I want to contribute uh, the development of healthcare service system in developing country in Asia. And also I want to uh, improve uh, women's health condition. And I want to save uh, women's life in such countries through providing education to healthcare administrators in the countries. So I want to, my program, what Young Leader program includes uh, now 12 countries, but I want to expand if possible to, to help and support uh, developing countries more so that is uh, my goal and my my future. Thank you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And Pecky, what what should we expect from you in the future? You're getting your PhD, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. What are you What are you planning to work on? I'm going to graduate this coming March. My PhD, yay! <laughs> and and I'm going to. I have a few. I I still have some data about menstruation that I haven't complete. I mean, I have more data to tell you, Jessica, <laughs> but I still haven't complete analysis in other databases yet. So I'm expect to complete all of those works, and and I might be working as a researcher for a few more years. 
uh, after my graduation and mostly re- related to the reproductive health, menstrual health and school health. If possible, I want to expand to that to that area. Yeah. Awesome. Well, where can we, uh, Pecky? Where can we follow you or connect with you? Uh, you know, if people want to learn more about your work or keep in touch. Okay, so you can find me on the Facebook like Becky Intapata. Um, maybe if you have a page, I can give you a name later, and and also my email address like suphalak zero eight two two at gmail dot com. That is my contact. Okay, and we will link to that in the notes on uh, for the podcast, so yeah. everyone will have that. And Echo, wh- where can people find you uh, if they want to connect? Uh, my email address. My name is Eiko Yamamoto. So Yama Eiko uh, uh, at Mark Met uh, dot uh, <laughs> Nagoya hyphen U dot AC dot JP. So this is my uh, university email address. Okay, great, and I will link to that in the show notes as well. Um, Pecky Eiko, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been just wonderful guest, and I'm really. I'm thrilled to see what you do. The work that you're doing is is really important, and um, I, I look forward to following you. Thank you Thank so you much, Jessica. Much. Thank you for having us. The Days for Girls podcast is produced by Days for Girls International. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit daysforgirls.org forward slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the show, leave a rating or a review wherever you listen. Subscribe to the show and share episodes on social media or with your friends. To learn more about Days for Girls and to join our global movement, please visit daysforgirls.org. Thank you for listening. See you next time.